Good morning again. Well, I have the honor of introducing our uh, preacher for this morning, and he is that. He is a preacher, among other things. Uh, so m- many of you already know Pastor Adrian DeVizer, who has been preaching here uh, annually at this time of the year for the last four or five years. About almost 10 years ago now, Carrie and I got the opportunity to travel to Sri Lanka, along with Anna Kim, Kim Storm, Elise Freustadt, a couple of other folks, to see the ministry of Adrian and his wife, Ophelia. Ophelia's not with us this morning, but um, in Sri Lanka. And we were there for two weeks, and it was a very transformative experience for us. Uh, Adrian has become a friend to many of you in this room, and many of you are at least familiar with him over the years. So I don't have to share too much. But uh, Adrian's a pastor and a church planter in Sri Lanka. He's been, he grew up there. He's been there. Uh, his life, he came here for a couple years for school and went back and um, is just doing amazing things in, in that country and now beyond that country in other Asian countries where he is very much at work, uh, currently a lot, doing a lot in Cambodia as well. But I just thought I would, I would as I think about Adrian, he's, he is, I'm so grateful for him, uh, for our friendship. Um, one, one thing came to mind uh, as I was thinking about him this weekend is he has modeled for me what holistic ministry looks like. And I mean that in a couple ways. Um, in, I, I came up with four ways. One, he has modeled a ministry of grace and truth. That as we engage people in the world, that we lead with grace. That they experience us as gracious and welcoming. And yet we also speak the truth of what we believe in Jesus Christ. That grace and truth, um, holistic ministry. Uh, second, he has taught, more than anyone else actually that I know, has, sh- has shown me a ministry of both word and deed. And in Sri Lanka, they really lead with deed. They are out serving the poor. They're out ministering to people's tangible needs, but not at all at the expense of the ministry of the word of preaching the gospel of Jesus. And so often we'll see people do one or the other, and certain ministries are are geared towards one or the other. But Adrian um, and those he works with, they are all about word and deed. Uh, Third, um, he uh, he has modeled to me a life of joy and sorrow. And what I mean by that is he ministers in, in contexts that can be really challenging. He sees poverty at an extreme level. Uh, the church in Sri Lanka experiences a persecution that we certainly don't experience here. Uh, lately, he's been more involved in the human trafficking um, issue. And so he's regularly around really dark and heavy things um, that can leave a person sorrowful. And yet, those of you who know him know he, he lives with this lightheartedness. There's a joy. There's a sense of humor. There's a warmth um, that is amazing in light of some of the heaviness that he lives with. But, but he can hold all that together. And I think Jesus was that way. He was this man of joy and sorrows who entered into the depth and brokenness. And yet I imagine there was this joy that emanated from him. And Adrian, I think, gives us a, a glimpse of that joy and sorrow. And then thirdly, I would say, or fourthly, he is such a holistic ministry in terms of having a ministry at home and abroad. And I mean that in a couple ways. One, he has, of course, a ministry to his own country and his own city and the churches that he's planted, the church that he's a pastor of, and now he's out abroad in other parts of Asia. But I also think he has a ministry um, outside of his home, but he also has a ministry in his home. And one of, I think one of his greatest legacies are his two children. He has an adult son and daughter who are, in their own ways, doing amazing ministry in the world. And to have a, a big-time leader like Adrian, who's dynamic, who's a visionary kind of guy, have kids who stay in the faith, honestly, <laughs> like, a, like pastor's kids, um, who come out and love Jesus and are engaged in that same ministry, that really speaks to the fact that he is the same person at home with his wife and his kids as he is when he's out and about and, and speaking in front of a lot of people, and his kids are a testimony, testimony to that. So 
He has been uh, a mentor in holistic ministry. So with that, I'd like to welcome him. Would you uh, join me in welcoming Pastor Adrian? Thank you. Oh my gosh. I was about to cry. And I was wondering, was he talking about me or somebody else? But I'm so grateful. Every time I come here, I enjoy just being with you. The simplicity of this church, it's not a very complex church, and your worship and your friendship and hospitality. We have always come to enjoy it. I come to you with great joy. And tonight, to this morning, I rejoice for three things. One, just being with you. The second being that my wife, we went through some medical tests, as you know. In 2013, she was detected with ovarian cancer, stage four. And the doctor said she was not going to live. But the past, this past week, we did a lot of tests again, just an annual test. And she came out good. She's cancer-free. I couldn't contain my joy when I met with the doctor because 2013, all hope was taken away. But 2013, again, God gave us back the hope. When the doctor said she was not going to live, it was certainly the work of God that took the cancer away. And I must tell you that all of what I do, I do it with the power of my God. And without my wife, I would be just useless. She has always stood with me for the last 38 years. She has been the strength and the one who supported me and who continued to support me in everything that I do. The third reason I'm happy is to leave tomorrow morning to Sri Lanka, back to my country. We have spent a couple of weeks here, enjoyed it but nothing like going back to my own country to be with my own people and to the ministry that God has entrusted to us. Appreciate your prayers as we go back. There is a turmoil within my country at the moment. There was a government has crashed and a new government has been established. And the new government is not going to be very friendly towards the Christian church. So it will be interesting a little bit challenging. But we always believe this. You, when you see a tennis ball, when you hit it hard, the harder you hit, the higher the tennis ball rises. And that's what happens to the church. The harder the church is hit, higher it rises. Persecution never destroys the church. Persecution makes the church much better. Today... I want to share something, share something that is very, very close to my heart. Jesus, after his death and after the resurrection, before the ascension, for 40 days, he met with the apostles. And every time he met with the apostles, he talked about the Great Commission. In fact, he repeated the Great Commission five times. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John records it in their Gospels and the book of Acts. Because for Jesus, this was the most important task that the church can be involved in. 
He leaves the glory of heaven. He takes, he becomes human being. He dies on the cross and pays the penalty of sin and takes away the shame and the guilt of humanity. And he established the church that is you and I. And he calls upon the church to share this good message with everyone in the world. But let me present you these statistics now. This is from the Pew Foundation, which is in your country. The Pew Foundation, after a series of surveys, they say that 31.5% are Christians. That is 2.2 billion. 23%, that is 1.6 billion, are Muslims. That is the second fastest growing religion in the world. 16.3 or 1.1 billion have no religion affiliation. They claim themselves to be the atheist. That is the third largest growing, if you may call, the religion, atheism. And it is happening mostly in the European countries. Many people are leaving the faith of their parents. One billion Hindus nearly 500 million Buddhists, and 14 million Jews, according to the survey. Based on this information, 68.5% are moving to a Christless eternity. And it is only you and I who can make a difference. It's us. God is not going to send his son again. God is not going to send... The angels, he has empowered the church. He has empowered you. Before he empowered you, he established and he reconciled you and me with the Father. According to 2 Corinthians 5.17, those in Christ become the new creation because Jesus Christ himself has reconciled us to the Father. And not only did Jesus Christ reconcile us to the Father, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation so that it is you and I who can reconcile people to God. He created the world right at the beginning and he told us, take care of the world. He paid the penalty for the sin of man and he said, go and disciple all nations. I constantly remember one of the great Christian movements was called the Moravians. The Moravians was led by a gentleman called Count Zinzendorf, a French aristocrat. He goes to a museum one day and he sees a cross of Christ. And he moves closer and in small letters, this was written. This I have done for you. What will you do for me? And that's the question that I love to pose to you too. He has forgiven us. In the country that I live, with Buddhism and Hinduism, there is no forgiveness. And there is a lot of insane people, basically because of guilt. There is no forgiveness in Buddhism. There is no forgiveness in Hinduism. There is no forgiveness in Islam. The only religion that talks of a forgiving God is Christianity. 
We are forgiven. All of the religions, man is looking for God. Christianity is the only religion that God came in search of mankind. Your names have been written in the book of life. You're forgiven. You're adopted. You have been lifted to the heavenlies. What privilege God has given us as Christians. I just got a news from my country that a man who has been very close to me, a senior leader, has been a legend in my country, is really sick and almost dying. And this is what he said. In his, de- in his deathbed, he sends these words to us. He says, he did so much for me, and I have lived for him. I have no fear of death. No human being other than a Christian can make this proclamation. I have, he has laid down his life. I have lived for him. And I do not fear death because heaven awaits me. But ladies and gentlemen, even though heaven awaits me and you, 68.5% of the people of this nation are moving to a Christless eternity and it is only you and I who can make a difference. I have but one candle of life to burn. And I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. The spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. Henry Martin. Two years after the Titanic was, uh, was drowned. In 1914, another ship drowned. It's called the Empress of Ireland. It was carrying 1,400 people. They were sailing from Ireland to London. And over 1,000 people died. Only about 400 survived. But in this ship, there was also 170 young Salvation Army soldiers. They were going for an event, and they also drowned. But they lived in the ship. They lived next to the cabin that has all the life jackets. So they grabbed the life jackets, and they jumped into the sea. But none of them survived. Only 400 other people survived. So they had a meeting with those who survived, the 400 people. And this is what they said. The Salvation Army young people were wearing the jacket, but they will swim to others and they will ask them the question, do you know Jesus Christ? Have you given your life to Christ? Are you on your way to heaven? Do you know this? And when someone says no, they would take the life jacket from them and give it to these people and say, save yourself. Because I am going to heaven, but not you. There was one man who said, I have a story to tell you of the 400. He said, 
I was, I'm a big man as you can see. But there was a young girl, perhaps 17 or 18 years old. She swam towards me. She asked me the question, do you know Jesus? And when I said, I don't know him, she immediately took her jacket and gave it to me. And I selfishly took it on and put it on. And then I felt bad. This girl who is 17 or 18 is sacrificing her life to save an adult like me. I just took it off and gave it to her. She said, sir, I cannot take it. That man in, uh, in his tears in his eyes said, I was saved twice. Once from water, once for my own sins. That is what Jesus did for us. He died so that I can live. He died so that you can live. He died so that we can be forgiven. He died so that I can be reconciled to God and be again a child and a son of God. We are called to share in the same manner. I keep looking at my time because I know I'm not in Sri Lanka. <laughs> uh, Sri Lanka, we have a policy that says, you know, you come to church only once a week, hang in there the whole day. <laughs> Jesus paid the penalty so that I can live. And we are called... To serve others so that others can live. William Booth, the leader of the Salvation Army, he used to write letters to his officers. And as he was getting old, his letters became shorter and shorter. And the final letter before his death, this is all he wrote to his officers. Others. Think of others. Because God thought about us. God thought about us. This is what I believe strongly. I believe that as I take care of the glory of God, God will take care of us. God took care of us so that we can think of others. But the whole process of evangelism and reaching out to others is a, is a power struggle. Because the scriptures tell us this, God of this world has blinded the eyes of the people so that they do not see the glory of the blessed gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. Let me repeat that. The God of this world has blinded the eyes of the people so they do not see the glory of the blessed gospel. So evangelism is not just a proclamation. It is not just me witnessing to people about what Christ has done. It is a power struggle. Jesus himself said this. Listen to then what the parable of the sower means. Listen to this. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. You know, I'm glad that it was Jesus who said that and not a theologian. Evangelism is not just proclamation. 
It is a power struggle. Please know the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? And the context of this verse, where Jesus deals with a man who is demon-possessed. And this guy is delivered. People started debating about it. How did he do this? Some said it is the power of God. Others said he, he just appeased the powers of darkness. And then Jesus, knowing what they were talking, he says, unless, uh, unless you bind the strong man, and he was pointing out to the man who has, who has been delivered, and he said, unless I tied the strong man and delivered this man and took him to the kingdom of God. Evangelism is a power struggle. Satan wants to keep our people in spiritual darkness. One day I was preaching in one of our churches. And a young girl walks into the church. And from the time she came, she was very uncomfortable. And she was looking in every direction. And I knew there was something wrong. So I was watching this girl, knowing that something was going to happen. Suddenly she screamed. And she ran out of the church. And our ladies ran after her, and she was like in a trance. They brought her to the church, and she just fell on the ground, and she was struggling like a snake. Middle of our service. And another lady came up and said, Pastor, I see an old lady. I don't see an old lady. I see just a young girl coiling up, screaming, shouting. So I went up to her. And I did the thing that the Christians are supposed to do. You and I have the power and authority. Jesus has given us the authority to cast out demons, to preach and to heal. And so I just went and I said, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross of Calvary, I cast you out. I claim this child for the kingdom. I tied the strong man and I released the young girl. And she woke up. So she participated in the service. And at the end of the service, we went to our counseling room. And I asked her, tell us what happened. She said, from the time I came to the church, there was an old lady standing by my side. I called the other lady and said, describe the old lady you saw on the ground. The description match. It was the same old lady. She said, the old lady was saying, don't stay here. Don't stay here. That is the attempt of the evil one. The God of this world continues to blind the eyes of people so that they do not see the glory of the blessed gospel. Don't stay here. Don't stay here. And, be, and I continued to look around with fear and anxiety. I said, I watched you and I saw all of that. She said, at one point, she jumped onto my body. That's when I screamed and ran. As we enter into a ministry of evangelism, which I really would ask you to do, God has given us the weapons, not of this world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 6, it says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine 
power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought, make it obedient to Christ. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of this world. But we have a weapon that can destroy the potential Dr. Robert Coleman, an eminent theologian in your country, who is now the professor of evangelism in Asbury Seminary in Kentucky, he said this, Prayer is striking the winning blow. Evangelism is the gathering of the harvest. Saints of the past understood this reality. So Hudson Taylor pioneer China. This is what he says. Before the pagans go about their work, I will rise and sit at the feet of the Lord for the salvation and you're called to do that. It doesn't happen with great preaching or intellectual reasoning. Great preaching and intellectual reasoning is important. But the most important is for people of God to gather and claim this nation for Christ. It is moving away from Christ. It is high time that we stopped it and claimed it back for God. In your country, there was a famous preacher by the name of Charles Finney. Charles Finney was known for, for revivals, and his meetings were well attended. There were lots of signs and wonders, and amazing miracles took place. In fact, they say, historians say, perhaps Charles Finney was one of the greatest evangelists that was in your nation. But behind the scene, there was a man by the name of Father Daniel Nash. This is what Daniel Nash would do. If Charles Finney was coming to Orange County, Daniel Nash will reach here a month before. And he will gather the Christians from Orange County and he will spend a month in fasting and prayer. And as fasting and prayer continues, Charles Finney would come and then he would preach because the strong man has been bound. The presence of the kingdom of God has been brought in. And Charles Finney comes and then he preaches because event prayer is striking the winning blow. All that Charles Finney did was the gathering of the harvest. I think we have reversed this order. Today there is far too much intellectual reasoning without prayer. There is a lot of activity that is not bathed in prayer. No wonder the church is in trouble. Father Daniel Dash, Daniel Nash died. And Charles Finney said, I cannot carry on a ministry of evangelism without a Daniel Nash. And he couldn't find anybody that could take his place. 
So Charles Finney went back to his pastorate and he gave up the itinerant evangelistic ministry. Ladies and gentlemen, I love your country. We live where we encounter so many powers of darkness. So our senses are more developed than yours in terms of sensing the darkness that is there. There is darkness here. And because there is darkness here, people are living away from God. And it is only you and I who can make a difference. And it is not going to be go be because of our strategies and I fear this is what's happening in the western church every time I sit with people they give me the latest strategy with this strategy our nation will be okay with this management principles the church will grow the biblical principle is as men and women Carry in prayer, the presence of God descends, signs and wonders and miracles will happen, and God will be honored in a nation. I'm crying out for those who are committed to prayer to rise up and to stand in the gap for this nation. I have 15 minutes more. As I grapple with living in a non-Christian country, and not only my country, most of my continent, the Christian population is in many countries is 0.5%, 1%. And my prayer is, Lord, before I go from this planet Earth, help me to bring change. Help me to raise an army of servants of God who will stand the gap and bring a change. In John 1.14 it says, The word became fresh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. I draw two, princip two principles from this verse. Number one, he became incarnate. He was willing to be with people and care for people. Second one is that he, the, life he, the pre message he preached was grace and truth. Let me highlight this concept of concern. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus comes after the death of John the Baptist. He's very sorrowful. He's looking for a lonely place to grieve because his first cousin has been killed. He comes to this lonely place, people get to know that, and they rush towards that place, and they're already there, and he's teaching the whole day, like I'm going to do this morning. <laughs> you want the Jesus model? Stay the whole day. <laughs> and after a period of time, Jesus comes to the apostles and says, hey, you guys, can you give, the, give them some food? The apostles were much smarter than Jesus. So they said, Jesus, are you crazy? This is not a place where we can get food. Another guy interrupts and said, even it will take, Jesus, are you crazy? It will take one man's wages to pay for these people. But Jesus says, give them food. Can you see the compassion? In fact, every time Jesus did a miracle in the Gospels, it says he was moved with compassion and then he followed with a miracle. 
he not only identified there was deep compassion for people and with this deep compassion followed the miracles. Ophelia and I, we have suffered a lot from 2013. And it was horrible to go through to be announced that your wife is not going to live. But I want to tell you that as I look back today, both Ophelia and I are better human beings because of the suffering. We understand the pain of others better than I ever understood five years prior. I go to Cambodia, and I'm supposed to be teaching at a pastor's conference, and the leaders come and say, Pastor, I can't come, I'm sick. I'm having prostate gland cancer, and I need to go for a surgery. My heart was moved with deep compassion. Ophelia and I asked him, said, would you sit down? And we laid hands and we prayed. It was a prayer of deep compassion because we know what we have gone through. Next morning, he comes for the pastor's conference, a bit late. He said, Pastor Adrian, I have something to tell you. I went for the surgery, they did a scan, and I'm healed. You know what happens? God has empowered you. It is not the job of a specialist. It is the job of an ordinary Christian, Christian like you and I who loves God, but who's moved with compassion. Whenever Jesus saw the pain of people, he was moved with compassion. And ladies and gentlemen, there's the thousands upon thousands of people in Orange County who are suffering. They might have the wealth, but there is loneliness. The marriages are crumbling. You and I would live in the midst of our people, it is time for the churches to go out of programs and consider people because Jesus died for people. He didn't establish a program. He loved people. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Only begotten son. That's it. What can a church do better than that? Rather than to live for the people and make a difference in the lives of people. There was a South African young boy. And he was studying holistic ministries. And he thought, how can I keep studying this stuff and not care for my black people who are living in the ghetto? And so he started going to the ghetto, and there was an old lady who was living with her own filth, not being bathed for a couple of weeks. He went with some girls, washed her, cleaned her, and George asked her, Mom, is there anything else I can do? She said, Son, I had never gone in a car. Can you give me a, a ride in your car? She said, Mom, I'll come next week, and I'll do that. So she gets into the rear seat. George Black ladies waving at all her friends, like Queen Elizabeth, traveling England for the first time. And then suddenly she says, son, there's something else that I need you to do for me. I need to collect my pension today. And George said, I can do that. Then he realized, oh, oh, that means I have to carry this lady and stand in a line. And he said, I'll do that, mom. 
he goes he carries this lady and la- stands in a line and waits for a turn it took a long time finally he took the pension and he went and left her at home and george never realized what happened that day there was another black man in the same village he has said yes taken a vow saying any white man come into my house i'll shoot him i'll kill him so george got to know this and there is the prompting of the spirit to visit this man he visits this guy knocks at the door and the wife comes on and says don't come the husband said it's all right let him come he goes in and he chats with him and george says you had vowed to kill the first white man that enters your house how come you didn't shoot me he said son i saw what you did with that old lady i was also in line to collect my pension i saw what you did i saw how you cared i saw the price you paid to love the lady and he said as i saw what you were doing my prejudice and hatred towards the wife evaporated from my heart it just evaporated because after seeing what you did for her i couldn't resist to believe the message you preach ladies and gentlemen this was his statement after i saw what you did i couldn't resist to believe the message you preach wonderful opportunities for us to make a difference but i need to finish with this bear with me oh come on help me that's it no dev john 114 he says he was filled with uh, grace and truth i seem to think and i have suggested this many times that the church have changed the order and the order has become not grace and truth but truth and grace but here is a challenge that the adults like you and i are facing our young there is a crisis in the world of the young and i can understand that this didn't originate yesterday the media carried out a well organized campaign to undermine the faith of the younger it originated with movies and social media so the message for couple of years over the media the movies was there is no absolute truth everything is relative and that's what our young people believe there is no absolute truth everything is relative there is a confusion in the young world about their sexuality they live with idealistic dreams but at times not willing to work to to get toward that idealistic dream there is no con- concept of loyalty is non existent drifting away from the faith of the parents and us adults need to know this and make a difference now listen to me please 
The thing that is bombarding the youth world is there is no absolute truth. Everything is relative. It's your experience that matters. And when the church stands on truth, we offend them. Because for them there is no truth. Everything is relative. So when the church stands on truth alone, it offends the young people and we are driving them away from the church. Jesus' model differed. Jesus first presented grace and truth because grace opens the door for truth. Let me give you a quick story. You remember Zacchaeus? That guy who came to see Jesus and he was not given room. So he climbs the tree and he's hanging there. And Jesus comes there and tells him, Zacchaeus, tonight I'm coming to your home to have dinner. He's the last guy that Jesus should have gone. I feel like protesting even today. (laughs) But that's what Jesus did. Because for Jesus, it is grace. Zacchaeus, you are horrible. But I want to extend grace to you so that grace will open the door for truth. The younger generation is looking for gracious churches that will listen to them, that will care for them, that will understand them and walk their turf. And become, understand the truth. They are looking for causes to be committed to. Our deep passion to see the church of Jesus Christ active and alive. When evangelism and reaching out the others become the focus, signs and wonders and miracles will take place. When evangelism becomes the focus, signs and wonders and miracles will take place. Recently, one of my staff walks into my office. His church was burned down a couple of years ago, but he continued there. He came and said, Pastor Adrian, I have great news to tell you. I said, tell me without all of the fuss. What happened? I was eager to know. He said, Pastor, there was a family and somebody died in their family. I said, okay, did you bury? No. I said, then what happened? Pastor, I laid hands and prayed on the dead. And he rose from the dead. And are you surprised? Is my God on the throne? When the focus of the church is the glory of God, the glory of God descends upon the church. And when the glory of God descends upon the church, signs and wonders and miracles will happen. It is not an extraordinary thing. To me, signs and wonders and miracles are the ordinary things in the kingdom of God. May God bless you as you become faithful to worshiping him and as you become faithful to the call of God. God bless you.